I'm Sarah Samwell. This is Policy Talk. Welcome to Policy Talks, a show about policy analysis and international affairs. Established in 1944, Radio Canada International, or RCI, is the international broadcasting service of the CBC. Previously known as the Voice of Canada, the shortwave radio programs that were available in 14 languages were once one of the world's most listened to broadcasts. For many people abroad, RCI is often their first and sometimes only interaction with Canada. On December 3, 2020, CBC Radio Canada announced that it was mandating that RCI abandon its international broadcasting mandate and that the current staff of 20 would be reduced to 9. These changes are set to go into effect on April 1st, 2021. In this episode, I speak with Wojtek Vyazda, a Veteran Radio Canada international broadcaster and spokesperson for the RCI Action Committee to learn more about what this means for the future of RCI. All right, so for those who don't know, what is Radio Canada International and what does it do? Well, Radio Canada International, as it sounds, is an international broadcaster. We're basically a public broadcaster, but we can be heard around the world. Right now, we're on the internet, but we started off on shortwave. And shortwave is a signal that's different from AM or FM signals because shortwave can go anywhere around the world. It just bounces off the ionosphere so that we can be broadcasting from Canada. You can hear us in Asia, Africa, Europe, Latin America. And what that means is we can, for no cost to the user at the other end who's got a radio, tell them about Canada. And that's been our role since 1945 when Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King said, we're going to talk about the Canadian reality to the world. And that was his promise. And what we're trying to do is continue that promise. Basically, that's it. We're not, a, we're not like the BBC World Service. We're not as big. We don't have the same kind of resources. But up until the early 1990s, even though our budget was way smaller than the BBC, we were as popular because we weren't seen as a propaganda station. We weren't seen as uh, trying to push a point of view. We were seen as a reliable source of honest journalism. And we've tried to do that through the years. But we've had obstacles. And what are some of those obstacles? The biggest obstacle to RCI, Radio Canada International, doing its job are the administrators of the CBC. They don't understand what international broadcasting is. On one hand, that's understandable. Their mandate is to serve Canadians. And they've got from their point of view, they've got this international service that doesn't serve their purposes, except when there are budget cuts. And when there's a budget cut at the CBC, they turn to RCI and go, they're disposable. They're not a priority. And that's been the biggest obstacle. The, the fact that we're a useful place to cut budgets and that they don't really understand why you would want to broadcast outside of the country. I literally have talked to a CBC president one-on-one -on -one, and he said to me, I don't see why we're doing this. And yet talk to foreign diplomats, 
uh, talk to our own former ambassadors and, and the diplomats who go around the world. Their job is to explain Canada to the world so for tourism, for business, for better relations with other countries. And that's what we do. We've been Canada's ambassador for the last 76 years. Hmm. Yeah, now on December 3rd, 2020, uh, CBC and Radio Canada announced that it was mandating that RCI abandon its international broadcasting mandate. So what exactly does that mean? Well, you know, that's, the, that's what they're doing. They are almost entirely abandoning the international mandate, but that's not what they said. What they said in their press release and in the policy announcement is that they're expanding the number of languages. They're uh, giving a higher visibility to RCI on their websites and that they were increasing access to journalistic sources for RCI. That's how they're presenting this. The reality is at this point, we have about 20 people, experienced international broadcasters tailoring and contextualizing information for audiences outside of Canada. And in each language, there are about three right now. With the new policy, there's only going to be one person trying to do basically translating uh, CBC and Hadju Canada texts from the websites. Because what's happening is that the CBC administrators have decided, well, we've got this service. They do things in different languages. Why don't we orient it more to the ethnic communities in Canada? And we'll also give some of the, what they do to the ethnic media in Canada which is a very nice thing to do, except that's not the role of Radio Canada International. And that's why we're fighting it because despite the, uh, the, uh, the wonderful words and descriptions of the, of the CBC, we're being hit with a budget cut that's serious in terms of the number of people that are working there and the core raison d'etre of uh, Radio Canada International is being almost ignored because it's clear that if you're adding, for instance, Tagalog and Punjabi, because those are the languages that are increasingly spoken in Canada, you're not targeting international audiences. You're targeting ethnic communities in Canada. And again, I repeat, it's a wonderful idea. If CBC wants to have third language programming, they should set something up. But under law, under the Broadcasting Act, Radio Canada International is supposed to pr produce programming that is for an international audiences, that contextualizes the Canadian reality. And why that's important is that if you're somewhere in Latin America or in Europe and somebody says, let's take an example, in Regina today, well, what is a Regina? Is it a city? On, on RCI, we would say in the, the Prairie City or the Western City of Regina. What is the Bloc? The Bloc Québécois is a party. Everything has to be put into context on an, a Radio Canada International broadcast because you don't know whether the person there has enough information to understand what you're talking about. Whereas domestic CBC and Radio Canada programming is targeted to a Canadian audience. And so it may be slightly understandable, but it's certainly not as understandable 
as the, the programming coming from Radio Canada International. And that's why we're fighting so hard to preserve that mandate. Now, the other part of this is that the mandate for Radio Canada International comes from Parliament. It's the Broadcasting Act and orders in council that affect the Broadcasting Act and the definition of what it is that we do. If our mandate is to be changed, well, it's Parliament's decision. CBC cannot arbitrarily change the mandate, but they pretend that they do. And again, when I say CBC, I'm not talking about the wonderful creators that are public broadcaster. I'm talking about administrators who are still blind to the necessity of an international service and also um, find that RCI is a useful place to take money away from it to alleviate pain when there are budget cuts. I'll give you an example. In 2012, the government of the time asked CBC to cut 10% of its budget. CBC decided that they would not cut 10% across the board, they would cut by priorities. And in terms of RCI, that 10% budget cut turned into an 80% cut at RCI. That was horrible enough. The other part of the decision was that CBC forced RCI to stop broadcasting on shortwave. The cheapest way for us to be able to get information to all parts of the world, and in particular to areas where the internet was not very strong or where it was being censored by the authorities. The immediate impact was that not only areas that had difficulty of getting information weren't being served as well, but the immediate impact was we lost our Chinese audience because our Chinese audience, the, our radio broadcasts were not blocked by the Chinese authorities, but our website was. And you've got to look at then the, the, from the point of view, if our mandate is to talk to the world, if it's in the benefit of Canada to be heard around the world, how smart it, was it for the CBC to decide we can afford to lose our Chinese audience? Imagine if we were still broadcasting to China right now with two Canadians held prisoner in China. You've got to wonder how detached from international politics and affairs and public diplomacy the CBC is when it makes decisions like that to cut our service to Germany, to cut our service to Japan, to cut our service to Brazil, to cut our service to Russia, to cut our service to China. These are decisions that should not have been made by the CBC. The problem also is that any government is loath to tell the CBC what to do because you don't want to be seen as getting involved to the day-to-day -day administration of uh, the CBC nor to the journalistic practices. Our argument here is true. And as a, as a uh, journalist, as a producer of many decades, I would be the first to say governments should not be telling the public broadcaster what to do. But it's a condition of the license of the CBC to have an international service. And that international service is defined as a service that produces programming for external audiences. And that's not what was, what was announced on December 3rd. And that's why we're fighting it.
Now, I can certainly hear critics saying that, you know, we're in the digital age and, well, people just get their information online. And you did mention China and the shortwave radio, but maybe you can expand a little bit on that, that why is a physical radio, uh, sorry, um, a radio signal so important in this digital era? And why is Canada's voice needed? I would... What I would argue is the, the, the most important thing about Radio Canada International that everyone has to understand is not the medium that we use, whether it's shortwave, mobile apps, streaming, podcasts, uh, you know, physical CDs, which are all things that we have used in the past, including making uh, vinyl records of such people as Oscar Peterson, Gilles Vigneault, uh, Glenn Gould, all of these things, doesn't matter what the medium is. The important thing is that it is part of our role to share our culture, our attitudes towards human rights, our, our, the way we deal with democracy. Uh, you know, one of, the th one of the hits that we took in the early 90s was that we lost a lot of the Eastern European languages in 1991, when we had a 50% cut in our budget. And one of the justifications was the Cold War is over. They don't need us anymore. And what the listeners that were there were writing us were, they were saying, no, 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 we need you even more. We, we need to know how a democracy works. And to answer your question about why is shortwave important or why is this, it would be nice if we could have a hybrid system of using all the internet expertise that we have, and RCI has a lot of it. We were on the internet at the same time as the CBC and other broadcasters. It would be nice to be able to use shortwave. Unfortunately, the CBC demolished our transmitter site in 2014 entirely. The only transmitter site in Canada that was capable of broadcasting to the world. There are solutions to that. There are possibilities of renting shortwave time, but the key is not which medium. I have joked in the past that whether it's a podcast, shortwave, satellite, carrier pigeon, it doesn't matter because once you've done something, you know, once you've recorded that interview with someone, once you've made that documentary, once you've done like we used to do in the past, everyday English and French lessons, those can be used all over. In fact, you know, even after uh, we lost our signal to China, I was talking to one of our former program directors just recently, and he said, I bet you our English les lessons and French lessons are still going on in China. Because, you know, this isn't about just getting a specific type of information into a country. This is about making people aware of us. And so we had everyday English and French lessons for China, for Russia, for Romania, for a whole, like Vietnam, Cambodia, it's a long list. Imagine you're listening on a local radio station how to speak English, and as you're learning how to speak English, you're finding out about the different, um, you know, things about Canadian reality, about how we do things, about our concerns. All of that raises the profile of Canada, which is what a lot of diplomats do, what is what the role of ambassadors and, and the diplomatic corps is to make people aware of Canada. We're not 
uh, unlike some countries, we're not selling a specific philosophy, but we are trying to make people aware of who we are as a country. And with RCI, we did it not in a propaganda way, but in a way that um, just gave you a, a sense of who we were. Now, as you mentioned, there have been these continual cuts and, you know, uh, RCA, RCI has been on the chopping block a few times, uh, specifically throughout the 1990s, uh, but was saved through public outcry, which I'm sure is what you're trying to garner right now. So what kind of response are you getting? Well, in the 1990s, CBC tried to shut us down three times in 1990, 1995, 1996. At that time, we were on shortwave. And what that meant was hundreds of letters were coming from around the world to members of parliament, to senators, to the CBC and to us saying, you can't do this. You can't cut the service. You can't shut it down. I think CBC learned their lesson and realized that you can't shut us down because you'll get a reaction. So what happened was a death by a thousand cuts. They would cut a specific service it's harder to mobilize people for that. They would cut the audience relations department that dealt with the mail that we got. They cut the fact that our program schedules, which told you which frequency to listen to our program, they were in all the Canadian embassies around the world. They decided that wasn't necessary anymore. So you cut, 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 cut. And so you arrive at the December 3rd announcement by the uh, CBC of this diminishing of our international mandate. And you're not gonna have a huge outcry because a lot of people don't even know that RCI exists. We have been so decimated that what we are now saying is not only save what we have, but rebuild what we have. We're actually using the hashtag rebuild RCI because, and we're not targeting the general public because it's hard to mobilize people, especially because of the date of implementation. This starts on the 1st of April and it was announced on the 3rd of December. The window for getting enough of a profile, enough of an awareness was basically impossible. But what was possible was communicating with former diplomats, communi communicating with foreign specialists, foreign affairs specialists, communicating with people in the communications field. And so that means that the people who understand the importance of this, we're hoping will communicate that to the government. We've had two open letters, one from uh, a whole group of, uh, of 32 prominent Canadians, including former Prime Minister Joe Clark, uh, the uh, former Canadian ambassador to the UN, Stephen Lewis, the former foreign affairs minister, Lloyd Axworthy, Naomi Klein, Donald Sutherland, and a number of other people who, who asked the Prime Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Foreign Affairs Minister, and the Canadian Heritage Minister, please reconsider. Please allow RCI to be what it's supposed to be. And we've just released another open letter. This one is from 45 former Canadian ambassadors. And this underlines again, when you think about it, 
former Canadian ambassadors who were out in the field, who were explaining Canada to the world, whose responsibility it was to make sure that people understood what Canada is, who we are, these people are concerned about what's happening to Radio Canada International because they were out in the field. They were listening to us. They know the impact of the service. But right now, it has to be admitted that RCI is in a very sorry state. In 1990, we were 200 people, trained international broadcasters, not only broadcasting in different languages, and that's one thing I should have perhaps underlined, is our uniqueness is not that we broadcast in a, a whole lot of different languages. Our uniqueness is that we explain the Canadian reality to an external audience. And to give you an idea just how far we went with that, the English and French sections in 1999, 1990 were subdivided into an English or French section towards Europe, towards Africa, towards Asia, towards the Americas. That's how tailored and specific our programming was. And that's why we had such an impact because it was understood at that time by everyone, including up until that time, the CBC, that it was important to contextualize material for these audiences around the world. And so we have dropped radically from the impact that we have, from the numbers of people that are working there. And we now need a leap of faith from people who are responsible for us. And that means parliament, not CBC. Because there's another aspect that I want to emphasize. Up until 1990, the director, the executive director of Radio Canada International would go to foreign affairs to consult and would consult about what are the concerns of Canada, which languages, which target areas would we like to, would, would foreign affairs like us to broadcast to? These weren't orders. They were meetings, consultations, and then RCI took the decisions on journalistic basis of what is it that we can do and where should we doing based on the consultations. That was an RCI responsibility and we had that kind of autonomy. And so we need to get back that kind of autonomy. We need to be able to have the editorial and financial autonomy to be able to not make a drastic and disastrous decision to lose our Chinese audience or to lose the transmitter site that allowed us to talk to the world. These are huge they have a huge impact on our capacity to do our job. And yet, for most people in Canada, they were not really aware of it. And that's why I say that in the 1990s, it was easier to mobilize even Canadians, because when you say we're shutting down our international service, it does sound kind of weird. Why would the BBC have a world, UK have a BBC World Service, and why would Canada not have an international service? The problem is in the, like they say, it's in the details. Mm, definitely. Now there is the argument that, you know, all journalists are struggling right now. All news organizations are having to cut back and CBC at the end of the day is a domestic um, public broadcaster. So how would you respond to that? Well, 
CBC should make decisions within its mandate. I would suggest that CBC has misunderstood its relationship with Radio Canada International. In 1968, the government handed over the international service to the CBC, but it handed it over in a landlord-tenant situation. The relationship was the CBC would uh, furnish us with studios, microphones, facilities, and we would pay a good chunk of our budget for that. But that was it. We were not supposed to be um, changed in terms of objectives or, or priorities by the CBC. We were an basically autonomous journalistic unit that needed to have use of CBC studios and technical requirements, but we were autonomous. Now, in a context where so many journalists are losing their jobs, it's, it's worrisome, it's terrible, um, and we obviously feel for all of these people, but there's a uniqueness to Radio Canada International that people forget. We're not just journalists. We're highly trained international broadcasters who have for decades learned how to connect and communicate with an international audience. It doesn't, it's not second nature. You can learn it, but it doesn't happen right away. And think about it. If you shut down the Russian service, which they did in 2012, you've lost a number of people that can't easily be replaced. You can't easily replace Russian international broadcasters who understand Canada. I'm not saying other journalists are re replaceable, but this is a unique institution that has uh, existed for 76 years. It's basically, you know, I'm not saying it's like the Canadian flag, but I am almost saying it's like the Canadian flag. Think about it. What's the purpose of the Canadian flag in another country? It's your first symbol of Canada. And for a lot of people, the first knowledge they had of Canada was from Radio Canada International. I have talked to journalists from the CBC and Radio Canada who have traveled around the world. And I'm thinking spe specifically of Radio Canada, foreign uh, journalist who was in Afghanistan and elsewhere. And people would say, he would say, I'm from the, uh, from the French service or from the public broadcaster. I'm at the French service of the CBC and that. And they go, huh? um, oh, Radio Canada International, outside of Canada, people know Radio Canada International because they've listened to us on shortwave, they've listened to us on uh, the internet, and we have a profile that the domestic service does not have. So that April 1st deadline is quickly, quickly approaching um, where these new changes are supposed to come in. Uh, so what's next? Well, you know, in, in the past, especially in the 90s, around Christmas time, just before Christmas time, we would get our layoff notices from the CBC. 
because they had to give us three months notice before the end of the fiscal year. And the first time around, I think it took until mid-March for us to get saved. Um, it's, it's hard to see this government moving. As I said, uh, governments hesitate to tell the CBC what to do. You have to wonder though, after now we have the second open letter from 45 former Canadian ambassadors, surely that rates some consideration. Surely, even though he's technically not responsible for it, the foreign affairs minister Mark Garneau should say, hang on, why are all these people so concerned? Why do they think this is going to have such an impact? I have to hope that at a certain point, someone will go and say, if this many people are concerned, maybe we should put a hold on everything. And that's in fact what we're asking is, we're not saying make a decision right away. What we're saying is stop this policy change, freeze any changes to RCI until RCI staff, along with a group of qualified people outside CBC Radio-Canada can figure out what's the most effective way of rebuilding the service, of making it an, a, an important, effective international voice. How to use all the tools that we've been using to use any of the tools that are possible to use to get that message out. But what we're saying is a future is possible, but we have to stop what's happening now because if it stays in the hands of the CBC, based on the graph that you would make from 1990 to today, we're gonna to get buried and we're gonna get cut. We have to change the attitude towards the international service and realize that it is an important institution that needs to be protected. And that if you can't make a decision right now, at least put everything on hold and reassess. It's what is perhaps the most remarkable when you look back at the history of, of Radio Canada International is that whether it's the Canadian Heritage Parliamentary Committee in the Commons or in the Senate, whether it's a KPMG study, whether it's an audit, all of those studies said that Radio Canada International is an efficient, useful, effective instrument of getting information around the world. Parallel to that, you have the CBC cutting us, cutting us, cutting us, cutting us. At a certain point, maybe we should look at those studies and say, all of these people are saying the same thing. These four former Canadian ambassadors are saying the same thing. Surely we should maybe wake up. So for those who are concerned, how can they help out? How can they get in touch? Get in touch with us on our, our website. It's uh, just Google RCI Action Committee. Uh, the actual address is rciaction.org forward slash blog. And we have a section called what you can do. And what we're basically saying is 
get a hold of the Prime Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister, the Foreign Affairs Minister, and the Canadian Heritage Minister. Tell them why you think it's important that Canada continue to tell its story through Radio Canada International. And if you've had experience with Radio Canada International, even better to explain why it was important. Uh, we have so much anecdotal uh, information about this, but it's important, I think, for these ministers and the prime minister to hear from people why they should care. And I think that's going to be the most effective. And honestly, right now is the only way that we're going to get this message across. Yep. So get talking if you want to hear more from Radio Canada International. Thank you so much. A pleasure. This podcast was made possible by the team at iAffairs Canada. To see more of our content, go to iAffairsCanada.com. I'm your host, Sarah Samuel. See you next time.